Morning, everyone. Am I on? Yes, I'm on. Morning. <clears throat> so as, um, as Brett said, my name is Joshua, and I, I lead the students' ministry here at Bosch. So that's um, the, the ministry revolved, or, or involved with students from university. And um, yeah, if you are a student and you are here this morning and I haven't met you, please come up and introduce yourself. I'd love to, I'd love to meet you. Um, there probably are very few of you in here, if any at all, uh, because the university students are on holiday, and so I've got a lot more time on my hands, and so the elders have invited me to preach, and so I'm really, um, yeah, really grateful to be able to be here this morning to share God's word. Um, th- this morning, we're going to be talking about partiality. Uh, the sermon is t- entitled, Impartial Hospitality, and uh, partiality is really favoritism. Um, and as I've been thinking about this topic quite a bit over the last week or two, um, a clear example where I've experienced a lot of favoritism has been amongst my brothers. I, I grew up with um, two younger brothers. The, one, the middle one is Thomas. He's a year and a half younger than I am. And the youngest one, his name is James. He's a lot younger. He's a proper lot lamaki. He's eight and a half years younger. And uh, so, so in many ways, uh, myself and Thomas, we were the test subjects for our parents. We, they, were, they were young parents and they were learning how challenging it is to, um, to parent new, new kids at, at a relatively close age. I feel sorry for the Tennysons with twins. Um, and oftentimes they were learning the, the difference between, or, or trying to find the line between being a bit strict and being lenient. And it seems like that's quite a tough, tough line to find. And um, Thomas and I experienced this frequently when it came to TV. We, we didn't have DSTV back in the day. It was just SABC 1, 2, 3, and then ETV. And in those days when we were growing up, there was no pausing, no recording, um, none of that stuff that, that we have now. And we were only allowed 30 minutes of TV per day, max. 30 minutes a day. And so we had to be very careful when it came to which shows we were allowed to watch. We, we could either choose a Dragon Ball Z or you know, which, whichever other kiddies show was on at that stage, but if we chose one, we couldn't choose the other. Um, then along comes James, eight and a half years later. By that stage, there's DSTV, there's pausing live TV, wild. Um, but also my parents have shifted that line between the strict and the lenient. They've gone far more lenient. I think maybe they were just like, oh, it's okay. Um, they'll turn out all right somehow. And uh, so James didn't have a limit on his TV watching. He, uh, he could even watch with Coke. Oh, we weren't allowed Coke when we were watching TV. It's absolutely ridiculous. And so on that note, happy Father's Day. Um, no pressure to the parents out there. We will hold you accountable when we get older. Um, no, I, I joke. I, I think my, my parents did a great job. My, my dad did a great job. And so, yeah, perhaps there are, there are some firstborns out there that can relate to, to my story. I think many firstborns will probably feel the same way. Um, perhaps you have experienced some kind of favoritism in, in choosing sports teams when it comes to break time, soccer or, or netball, being, being the last person picked is never, is never entertaining. Um, but perhaps you might have experienced some sort of partiality that's a little bit more harsh in nature, a little bit more difficult to, to stomach. And that's the kind of partiality that James is, is really wanting to speak about um, this morning. And so on that note, I'm going to invite Henry up to read the text for us this morning. Henry's going to be reading from James chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. And um, yeah, this is what James 
addressed his audience with and what God is wanting to speak to us about today. Good morning, church. Actually, today I'll be reading from the ESV, James chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. And the title for today's reading is The Sin of Partiality. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet, Have you not then made distinction among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court are not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well, but if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law of transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Here ends today's reading. Awesome. Thanks so much, Henry. So just to set the scene a little bit for where we are in James at the moment, we've been going through James for the past eight weeks or so at the moment, and it's been amazing just taking a deep dive into into God's word. I've often just paused and, and just thought about how amazing it is that we have the very words of God written to us. The very words of God himself are written to us. They they came through this particular author, James, at a particular time to a particular audience, but God uses those very same words to speak to all other people throughout all time, and that that is just incredible. 
I've had a couple conversations with um, some, some students who have mentioned that although James has been an amazing book, it's, it's, it's felt like they've grown a lot and they've um, experienced a lot more of God, it's also felt like a bit of a, a clap, like a, like a wake-up call. But, but I think it's probably more uh, accurate to think of James as a caring and concerned pastor he, he's wanting to bring clarity to our lives as Christ followers. And he's doing so with a, with a sense of urgency. He really wants us to get this. And, and so the, the, the feel of James is one of exhortation. He's calling us um, to flee from that which is gonna destroy us. And he wants us to, to live lives of obedience if we say that we have faith in Jesus. And it makes sense why it has this kind of feel because of all the books in the New Testament, James is the book with the most number of imperative verbs. The, the, in other words, the highest number of verbs that say do this or do that, or, um, kind of commands. So James is, James is trying to give an urgent message to us as Christ followers. But coming back to the recap, in, in many ways, the section of James that we have just been going through, um, wisdom to live God's way in words and deeds, that's we started in James chapter one, verses 19 up to the end of the chapter. They almost set the rest of the letter for James. They set it up. Three weeks ago, we had Kyle Peters with us who, uh, he unpacked how James commands us to receive the implanted word with meekness. Then we had Louise show us that James urges us to be doers of this received word and not hearers only. And last week, Ryan dealt with how James teaches that true religion, that is truly doing the word that you have received, manifests itself in a lifestyle of obedience. And, and that, that last point kind of becomes a, a theme throughout the rest of the letter. Ryan touched on how James speaks specifically about the way we use our tongue, the way we love the mistreated orphan and widow, and the way we keep ourselves unstained from the world. And so here in James chapter two, verse one to 13, we find a specific application of that second point, the, the love, the mistreated widow and orphan part. James is almost linking these thoughts and going along by saying, truly doing the word you have received includes showing compassion to the marginalized and the helpless people. And in fact, a failure to do so might actually indicate you, you are deceiving yourself about your religion. So just to give us a bit of direction in terms of where we'll be going today, uh, the layout of this text is fairly straightforward. We see a command from James in verse one, namely don't show partiality. That, that forms the main point of this entire section. Then in verses two to four, James gives us an example of how partiality is being shown in the churches to whom he writes, before lastly moving on to his reasons for why partiality is so bad in verses five to 13. And so we're gonna, we're gonna follow the text in the same kind of fa fashion, the command, the example, and the reasons. But for, for today, we are not gonna go through the entire 13 verses. We're, we're only gonna be covering verses one to nine, and next week we're gonna pick up again for verses 10 to 13. So just as we, as we get stuck in, I'd um, love to pray, and then we can unpack those points. Yeah, Heavenly Father, as we gather this morning, as we celebrate you and praise you as our perfect um, Heavenly Father, our Abba Father, Lord, I pray that um, 
you would present yourself amongst us this morning, that you would soften our hearts, God, that we would approach your word with humility, that you'd reveal yourself through your word, God, that we would know you better as a result of the study of your word. God, we pray that by your spirit, our lives would be changed. Wouldn't you come and do these things in us this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. So, for the, the first point, the command, don't show partiality. Let's, let's look at verse one again. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. As is often the case in, in James, when he opens a, a new section, he, he starts with my brothers. Uh, and so when we hear that, we should, we should sit up and take note, because James is, is moving on to a new point in his book. And, and when he's saying, my brothers, he, he's really trying to say, the equivalent in our language would be, hey guys, hey guys. So there's a sense in which he's saying, my brothers and sisters, hey guys, look, I'm moving on to the, the next point. So he introduces a new topic here, and what does he say? He says, show no partiality. Show no partiality. That, that's the emphasis for this passage, it's the main point, as I would have said, and uh, it really is as simple and straightforward as that. If you wanted to summarize these 13 verses, you could literally just say, don't show partiality. As I, as I mentioned a little bit earlier as well, um, partiality essentially means favoritism. Partiality is an, an unfair bias in, in favor of one side or one thing or one person over another. And so if you are partial, if you act in a partial way, you favor someone in a dispute. You, you have a slanted or, or skewed um, attitude towards something. Other translations include the word prejudice, uh, discrimination, as I said, favoritism. But I, I love um, doing a, a bit of a dive into the original Greek. It, it's, it's literally translated acts of receiving the face. That's what partiality means, acts of receiving the face. And I really like this, this very literal translation because it describes pretty well what happens when we show partiality. To, to receive the face means that we make judgments about people, often these are prejudgments, simply based on external appearances. So we receive the face of someone when we notice some external appearance about them or perhaps we have some limited piece of information about them and value them, value their worth, their, their personhood based on that limited piece of information, based on that face. And so this idea of receiving the face uh, makes me think of the story when God chooses David to be king of Israel in the book of 1 Samuel. God, God sends the prophet Samuel to the house of Jesse and he only says to Samuel, one of Jesse's sons is going to be king. So Samuel has no idea who the, the son is um, and he goes along faithfully to choose the king and when he arrives, he sees um, Jesse's oldest son. Uh, he's a tall, handsome looking man, got a good stature, looks very kingly in, in nature and so he thinks this, this must be the one, he must be the king. And God replies in 1 Samuel 16 verse seven, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. 
Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So where man receives the face, looks on the outward appearance, God, on the other hand, looks at the heart. Although, although David, at this point, at least, amongst his brothers, was the, the smallest, the youngest, he was out tending to the sheep, God knew that he would be the king of Israel that's described as the man after God's own heart. That's something that Samuel couldn't see in the moment. He was simply receiving the face. And so even though that story or perhaps this idea of receiving the face might bring to mind the idea of a moment of partiality, a moment of uh, prejudgment, partiality could also be part of someone's lifestyle. Um, In other words, it's not just necessarily an initial act of favoritism, but perhaps even a constant favoritism, like with my brother and the the TV. It's just constant. Regardless, James's point here is that Partiality is wrong, it, it's bad, it needs to be changed. And in fact, he, he is trying to emphasize the fact that partiality is fundamentally incompatible with those who claim to be followers of Jesus. Followers of Jesus and partiality do not go together, they, they cannot go together. And so even though this, this uh, passage can really simply be summed up as don't show partiality, The fact that James devotes a substantial amount of space to this teaching indicates that this was a big issue. This this was a a real thing in those churches that James wanted to address. And he's urging us to take note because we need to live lives that are in line with the gospel. If this is something that means that we are not living in accordance with the gospel, it needs to be addressed. So after giving this command in verse one, James moves on to an example, a way in which these churches are showing partiality. So how do they show partiality? How do we show partiality? Let's look at verses two to four. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing, and say, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? You can almost picture a modern day equivalent of the scene James is describing. There's some sort of regular church gathering, much like the Sunday morning service, and two different people walk through the back doors of the foyer. Uh, the one is dressed in pristine clothing. He kind of exudes wealth. He's, he's got a nice watch on. Um, he's got probably some good cologne, something that smells nice. And on the other hand, uh, at this very same time, someone else walks through and they're just in these filthy, kind of smelly rags. And the, the welcome team on duty, or just perhaps the, the, the church members that are in the foyer, um, respond very differently to these two people. To, to the wealthy man, they, they flock to him almost immediately. They get to know him. They, they wanna find out more about him. And as the, as the intro video starts, they lead him through the doors. They, they give him a good seat in the, in the audience. Perhaps they go offer him uh, one of those nice little plastic cups of water that we have out the, out the side there. Uh, but to the poor man, no one really gives him more than a glance. They kind of just ignore him. And when he comes in and perhaps it's a full service and he tries to find a spot, he's told, no, maybe actually just take a seat right at the back and actually at someone's feet. Doesn't, it doesn't conjure up a very good picture at all. 
And so what James is doing here is explaining or giving an example rather of how partiality, favoritism, receiving the face, applies specifically to differences in dress code here. These two men are are dressed differently, but what he's really showing is that their dress represents differences in wealth, socioeconomic differences. And this is the basis, this is the, the, the reason for the partiality being shown. Now this idea of how we treat poor and and rich brothers and sisters in Christ is something that is a a big concern for James. We already heard in in chapter one about how the lowly brother should boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. And so while it may sound like James is just posing a hypothetical scenario, you know, if a rich man walks into assembly and if you say this and that to them, he, he actually, finds this to be a genuine issue because later on in verse six of chapter two, he says, but you have dishonored the poor man. You have dishonored the poor man. So this, this is a real issue in, the, in his churches that he's writing to. But again, this is, this is an example of the partiality that he is actually talking about as a sin. It's clear that this, this partiality, while he's talking about it in a, in a poverty wealth manner applies to a much broader range of circumstances. There there are many different types, many different kinds, many different acts of receiving the face. And so we're all probably judging people based on things that aren't valued in the kingdom. It doesn't have to be about wealth. It can be about anything, this idea of partiality. Um, It's things that, that we value which aren't necessarily valued in the kingdom. This text also indicates how these acts are actually being shown, right? The audience pays attention to the the wealthy man, literally looks with favor on or has regard for this wealthy man. They they say certain things to him. So what they say to him indicates their partiality. Probably the way in which they say it also indicates their partiality. But as I mentioned, because this is, a broad thing being referred to here, there are numerous ways that partiality could be shown. Perhaps it is um, the way in which you approach someone, maybe it's out of a sense of guilt, or or maybe you change your perception about someone once you get to know them a little bit more. That's not necessarily a good thing. You've just acted out of partiality for what you now know about them. And so, as as we continue to unpack this, as we get into the reasons why, which is where we'll spend Uh, the remaining chunk of our time, perhaps just think about the ways in which you might be prone to show partiality. So after this example, um, James moves on to give some of the reasons as to why partiality is so bad. And at this point, I think it's, uh, it's important to acknowledge that very few people in our day and age would say that partiality is good. There are no pro-partiality signs being waved around. Um, Partiality is probably one of the chief things that come to mind when we think of injustice. And that's an amazing thing. That is a great aspect of our culture that wants to address these issues, that wants to address partiality. But why why do we want to address it? What are the reasons for wanting to um, deal with this issue? You see, the the truth is that a concern for these matters is good because it stems from the Christian worldview. 
In, in no other society, at no other point in history, was there ever a, a similar kind of concern for justice before we got the biblical story. This is something central to, to the heart of God, and, and it's a beautiful thing. It, it's a truly Christian thing. And yet, in many ways, the way our, our culture pursues justice or, or wants to address partiality often misses or, or forgets the, the biblical foundation, the godly, the, the beauty in the, in the reasons behind why. Sometimes we, we don't strive against partiality in light of who God himself is and what he has called us to. And so here, when James is laying down the foundations for why this is such a severe thing, actually, he invites us to consider these things in light of God, in light of who he is. He ties all his reasons back to God, and, and that's why he opens the section by saying that for Christ followers especially, Christ followers and partiality do not go well together. They, they, they can't coexist. For those who know God, it's, it's incompatible to show partiality. The reason is because they go straight against God and his kingdom, and he lays out five reasons why in this text. Five reasons why. So for the first, we're gonna look at um, the end of the verses we've already considered, uh, verses, uh, just at the end of verse four. Reason number one, partiality means that you divide God's people. If you show partiality, you divide God's people. He asks two rhetorical questions at the end of verse four. He says, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves? And he says, have you not then become judges with evil thoughts? And again, when, when biblical authors are asking rhetorical questions, it's another, another point at which we should sit up and, and take note because they're not just rhetorical questions, he's actually making assertions. He's stating something that is happening. He expects those to be answered positively and he's essentially saying, you have made distinctions among yourselves and you have become judges with evil thoughts. So dealing with the first reason, you have made distinctions among yourselves. His point here is not so much that you've noticed differences between the two, two men that have walked in through the foyer. We, we know that already based on his example. His point is more that because you've noticed them and acted differently, you have sown divisions in, in the body of believers, in the body of Christ. And this is a big issue for James because he has a big heart and, and concern for unity and wholeness in light of the unity and the wholeness of God. As God's followers, we need to be united and whole, both as individuals in our individual lives, but also as a community. And so James, in this letter, he, he wants to address and combat the ways there is division in our lives, inside and, and outside. And, and we've actually already heard elements of this. He, he warned his hearers in, in chapter one about how they are not to have, we are not to have a divided heart when it comes to approaching God in prayer. We're not to be divided on the one hand, going to him in prayer, but then doubting that he can actually answer those prayers. Similarly, we are not to be divided in our understanding about God when it comes to uh, the gifts he gives us and the trials and the temptations. He gives good gifts and he brings trials because they, they result in faith, which he values, but the temptation comes from us. 
Lastly, he, he doesn't want us to be divided in our hearing and our doing of the word. Those two things are not meant to be divided, as if we could hear it and not do it on the one hand. Those things are not compatible. He, he wants unity and wholeness in, in our faith, in our hearts, and in our minds. And so in this chapter, he's really identifying unity and wholeness in the body of believers. This is, this is a big concern for James. And essentially, what he's likely meaning is that a division that is being sown in, in the body of believers really indicates a divide in our minds and in our hearts towards God. We, we're not viewing God correctly if we make divisions amongst ourselves. So perhaps ask yourself, where, where might you be dividing God's people somehow? Is there a way in which you could be doing that? James moves on to the second reason with that, that assertion, you have become judges with evil thoughts. So partiality means you take God's place as judge. You take God's place as judge. The, the judgment that is spoken of here, excuse me, is not necessarily a right or a wrong judgment, but more a, a value judgment. And James makes it clear that the, the motivation behind our, our judgment is evil. We have broken scales when we try and weigh things up. We, we don't judge righteously. We have sinful, warped standards when it comes to making these kind of calls. But more than that, you make yourself out to be the judge. It's not just about judgment with evil thoughts, but you, you're making yourself out to be the judge when you act with partiality. And this is a deadly mistake. There, there is only one judge. When we do this, we, we implicitly, we take God's claim and his right to be the one judge. And we, we, in doing so, we put ourselves on the throne of God. James, is, James has got a big concern for this. He wants us to live in light of the judgment that is to come. He wants us to know that we need to live our lives knowing that that is true and that that is a reality. And so even as we skip ahead and look briefly at verse 12, he says, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged. We are the ones to be judged, not the ones to be sitting on the throne judging. And we're gonna hear more about this, especially next week. But again, perhaps ask yourself, where might you be placing yourself on the judgment seat of God? Moving on to the third reason, James highlights how partiality means that you don't act as God himself acts. You don't act as God himself acts. This was the reason that was really the kicker for me as I was reading this text. Um, if we look at verses five and six now, James says, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? but you have dishonored the poor man. You've dishonored the poor man. Partiality is wrong because it contradicts God's own attitude. He, he graciously and lovingly welcomes all people to know him. This includes the poor. He welcomes all types of people, the tall, the short, the educated, the uneducated, the rich, the poor, black, white, Indian, Asian, colored, even Bulls fans, welcome. They're all welcome. All types of people are open to a saving relationship with Jesus. 
And this wonderful offer of grace is freely available to all these types of people. Not one of those attributes makes God overlook them and not one of them makes God value them. The fact that so many poor people have come to faith indicates God's deep care for even the poor. We are, as Christ followers, fundamentally, we're called to be different from the world. We're called to act like God, to emulate him, to to be like him. Um, I think it's in one of the gospels where Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. A pretty high call, right? Especially as we think of it on Father's Day. And so we, we have to ask ourselves, who is God? Who is God and what is he like? If this is our call, if this is who we are as Christians, many Christs, who is God and what is he like? The near constant refrain in scripture is that the God of the Bible is not partial. If if we skip ahead to to James chapter three, verse 17, talking about wisdom, uh, which is another massive theme in this book, James says, the wisdom from above is impartial. It is impartial. James is also referencing scriptures from the law in Leviticus, where God highlights more, about, more of himself, more of his will for his people, the Israelites, to Moses. And so Leviticus 19, verse 15 to 18, uh, the first verse says, or, well, verse 15 says, you shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. And at the end of verse 16, a reason is almost given, I am the Lord, I am the Lord. So this call to be impartial as Christ followers is rooted in the very character of God himself. And when it comes to this application, namely on poverty, wealth, scripture is also very clear. God loves and chooses people from among the poor. He honors those Christ followers who are dishonored in the world. And if we're honest, the the most dishonored people are, are often those who have the least wealth, those who wear smelly and and dirty rags. So when the world mistreats them, God loves them. God loves the poor brother and sister. He delights especially to shower and lavish his grace on those who most readily need it, who who are most keenly aware that that they need help. He has a special care and concern for the poor. And and so in, in a twist of events, under God's sovereign choice, there's a reversal of fortunes for the poor Christ follower. To the poor in Christ, he gives immeasurable wealth, the riches of faith. The poor in Christ receive new wealth that is found in this, almost like a sphere called faith. And and the poor in Christ receive the kingdom of heaven. That means the fullness of the power and the riches and the blessings of the kingdom are theirs. The poor in Christ receive the honor of royalty. He adopts them as sons and daughters. He calls them heirs. They receive honor. And and even though the poor in Christ may not have something now or or, or much now, the poor in Christ have so much to look forward to. That's, That's the reality for us as Christians. God shows his lack of partiality in his choice, in his selection of the poor. And yet, we as Christ followers, especially well, the, these people to whom James is writing, these, these Christ followers are <laughs> discriminating against the very ones God loves. When you fail to act like God, you dishonor him. And so they fail to recognize the, the, the worth 
with which God sees these individuals, these brothers and sisters, the poor brother and sister among us, they are clothed in righteousness. This is the, the position from which the poor should be viewed. So perhaps ask yourself, are you treating those whom God loves with contempt? Perhaps you are. Moving on to the fourth reason, partiality means that you hinder the work of God. Here, James um, says in verse six and seven, are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? James almost gets a little bit pragmatic here. And so again, when he's asking rhetorical questions, he's, he's making statements. He, he's saying that the rich are the ones who are doing these things to you. They are the ones who are doing these things to you. The tragic irony is that in this day and age, there were very, very few wealthy and influential Christ followers. In fact, in this day and age, the rich were predominantly non-Christ followers who were fiercely against the poor and against the Christ follower. They, they were using their influence to sway court verdicts. They were oppressing them and they go as far as to blaspheme the name of God, to, to mock and make, to, to shame the name Christian. So perhaps the, the people in these churches, they, they wanted to look to the rich as, as a source of, of power and of influence to, to bolster their ministries. Perhaps that was the reason why they were actually hoping the rich would be welcomed in. Um, at best, that was their motive, and yet that doesn't exclude them. The equivalent in our day would be showing favoritism to a person or to a bunch of people that mock your faith, that trample the name of Christian. It doesn't make sense. It hinders the work of God in his ministry going forward. Are there areas in which you might be giving too much glory to the things of man rather than the things of Christ who is the Lord of glory. Lastly, moving on to the final reason why partiality is wrong. James highlights the fact that partiality means that you break God's royal law. You break God's royal law. James identifies the, the central demand, the, the, almost like the core, the essence of the law of God as love for one's neighbor. He unpacks this in, in verses eight to nine. Well, eight to 13, but we'll just consider eight to nine at the moment. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So in, a, in line with what Jesus himself taught and many of the other New Testament authors, James says that the heart of the perfect law, which we've heard about, this, this perfect law that, that we, we are called to, to carry out is love for one's neighbor. This is the sum total of the law. And, and Jesus said this in, in the gospel accounts as well. When, when he's asked about what's the most important command, he says, firstly, to love the Lord your God. And secondly, the, the second commandment, which is like it, is to love your neighbor as yourself. Again, we see this in the law of God, where, which James is quoting in Leviticus. Leviticus um, 19 verse 18 says, you shall not take vengeance or bear grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor 
as yourself, I am the Lord. So th- throughout, throughout the entire biblical story, this is, this is the core of the law. And, and I find it very easy to hear that and oversimplify the Old Testament. I kind of write off and say, oh, you can just sum all that stuff up with love. Like, j- just love your neighbor and y- you're doing all of that. That's distinctly not the attitude that James wants to convey. It's actually incredibly profound to think that all those commands, all the rituals, all the things that the Israelites were called to do are fulfilled in loving one's neighbor, in truly loving one's neighbor. I love the way Paul says it in Galatians 5 verse 14. The whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so here again, uh, loving your neighbor is contrasted with partiality. These two things are opposite. So if, if you're doing the opposite of what is the sum total of God's law, you end up breaking all of God's law, which James goes on to say. If, if you're missing the core of, of the law of God, you miss the whole point. This is, this is the last reason that James gives as to why partiality is such a serious issue, and he unpacks it a lot more in the remaining verses, which we will get to next week. So I think it's quite clear that all of James' reasons goes back to God himself. I find it really necessary and helpful to go back to why, like, why should I carry out these commands? Show me how they relate to God, and, and James does that. He shows it very clearly. But it doesn't change the fact that it's, this can still be really difficult to carry out. Even if we know all these reasons, it can be really difficult to not be partial. If we, if we admit it, we, we've probably all had partiality shown towards us. We've had favoritism, um, receiving the face, we've probably been received favorably. But we've probably also done it to others and, and given unfair um, favoritism towards some people over another. So why do you think, why, why do you find it tough to show partiality or, or not to show partiality rather, if you do? I often think it's because we struggle to relate to one another. We struggle to find um, common ground. We struggle to, to know the other person as a person. We, we reduce them to those, the face value. And in, in light of the gospel, there is actually beautiful ways we can relate to one another. Beautiful ways we can relate to one another. The first, briefly, that I wanna to touch on is that God himself has shown us the most extreme way to go and step out of your own shoes and relate to someone else. God in, in his perfection became like us. Paul says in Philippians 2 verse five, have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So God himself, the the king of the universe, the the everlasting father, the creator, he chooses to be born as a man. And not just as a rich man or a middle-class man, he chooses to be born as a, a poor Jewish peasant. 
I love the way Sam Albury puts it. He, he says, after talking about how God loves to show his might through the weak, that it shouldn't surprise us. We follow a crucified criminal. We follow a crucified criminal. That's the man we follow. He had nowhere to lay his head. There were many who were appalled at him. His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being. This was the man who for our sake became poor and embraced poverty. So being reminded of the extreme ways in which God himself became like us makes it easier for us to try and relate to one another. The second one briefly is that as Christ followers, we can all relate to one another when we think about how we were before God. Regardless of our levels of wealth, whether we are poor, whether we are wealthy, all of us before God had essentially nothing on but filthy rags. We were all like that, and yet God in his mercy and in his grace, he chose to clothe us in perfect linen, pristine clothing, the righteousness of his son Jesus. That's what God did. He clothed us all like the wealthy man who comes in through the church doors. This is how we are to be viewed, and this is where, as we heard from chapter one, we really get to practice how we are all equal at the foot of the cross. So as I, as I um, come to a close, I'd like to invite the band up. Um, just, to, just to recap, before we head into the last song of worship and as we go into next week, trying to finish off this section, that this is a, this is a really significant command from James, to not show partiality to not receive the face, to not show favoritism. Um, if we do so, we violate God's law. We break his law. We open ourselves up to judgment. Um, we, we fail at all those other points. But I wanna touch on one, one thing that, that I haven't referenced yet. Um, if we look briefly at verse five, where James starts his reasons for why this is so wrong, he kicks off with, Listen, my beloved brothers. Listen, my beloved brothers. And as I said, that's, hey guys, listen, my beloved brothers and sisters. He knows that the people to whom he's speaking have committed partiality, which is a flagrant sin, especially in our day and age. And yet he addresses them as beloved. Listen, my beloved brothers. I'm not saying this to, to minimize the the force of what James is saying. He wants us to address this. But it is interesting to note how he calls us to this. So can I ask us to stand and just pray for us along these lines? Heavenly Father, as we think of perhaps the ways in which we might have shown partiality. God, I pray that you would soften our hearts. I pray, Lord, that we would run to you as the God who became like us so that you could bear the punishment that we should have borne. God, I pray that we would see the sin in light of who you are. I pray that we'd repent of it, Father. Father, where there has been uh, hurt due to partiality, I pray that we would view ourselves in the way that you have made us, 
because of your son Jesus as clothed in perfect clothing of righteousness. God, thank you for your heart, for the poor, for the marginalized, for people of all shapes and sizes. God, we thank you that you are a God who is impartial. Won't you please empower us to be more like this, to carry this out as a community. Help us to represent you more, Father. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.